You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 235th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 743rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of November 11th, 2021. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Well, for this week's Banner Moment, there are a lot of things to pick from, even outside the world of IU basketball. Uh, From a soccer perspective, the men's team advanced to the finals for, I believe, the fourth straight year uh, in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, And as many of you saw, the uh, I think Roman Celentano's incredible series of saves was the uh, top play on SportsCenter, which was just absolutely unbelievable. I think Chronic Hoosier referred to it as as sorcery of some kind, which is about as good a description uh, as I think I came up with. You had the uh, the women's team open up their season with a 23-point win over Butler on the road. Grace Berger in that game reached 1,000 points uh, for her IU career, and Nicole Cardano-Hillary, 7 of 8 from 3 for 29 points in total. So, uh, May, may uh, maybe Mike Woodson seeing if she's got some uh, availability to uh, step in and, and shoot for the shoot for the guys, but uh, no, just a great great opening to a uh, a really uh, really highly anticipated season from the women's team. And then you had uh, IU winning in the opener. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as Ryan and I were not able to be on the post game show, so we'll uh, go over our thoughts. But while it wasn't as uh, as clean as we would have liked, and uh, Maybe had gave us all some flashbacks to other games where IU let big leads slip away. Uh, team did you know, step up at the end of the game uh, and uh, and picked up the win. And Mike Woodson is off to a one and zero start. Uh, but I would be remiss on uh, November eleventh to not also include uh, something about Veterans Day here. Uh, so you know, as a lot of a lot of different people on social media in different ways have uh, you know had thoughts on this, and and it's one of those where. Uh, you know, one day doesn't really feel like enough to to honor people who have served the country and those that, uh, as well as those who continue to do so. So, just on uh, behalf of all of us, thanks to all of you, uh, brave and, and selfless men and women who have protected our freedom, and uh, we are are truly inspired by your your courage and your sacrifice that uh, you make and your families make uh, right along with you. So, uh, thank you all for that on this uh, on this Veterans Day. And with that, let me introduce my esteemed co-hosts for tonight. First up, he remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach, and it's time. All right, coach. Uh, you know, you, you took a little took a little flack for for your the general tone of your comments the other night. Uh, so you're back with a couple days, a uh, couple days to marinate on the performance. Uh, so how how you feeling tonight? Any any different? What where, where are you at today? Well, 
I'm trying not to have that face that several people commented about, uh, uh, and I forced me to change my Twitter profile it's, to the, it's just my face guys. What yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, uh, it's veterans day and, and Andy, thank you for, for doing that. And we, we have the freedom to agree and disagree. Uh, that's one of the most beautiful things, uh, that other people have done for me and sacrificed for me. So, yeah, I, there were a lot of good comments, a lot of good uh, reasons why Indiana uh, had a tight game in game one. And and reasons happen all the time. Uh, and by no means is the foundation not there or the season in, in disrepair. So hopefully, uh, you know, my, my comments right off the bat, uh, I'll point to the back end of the show where I said the foundation was well. Defense needs to be there when offense has as an off night. So that was a good thing. Uh, I still uh, struggled uh, with the Indiana offense. I don't think it was very good, and I'm not going to change my opinion on that. It was shocking to me because I thought they played better in the Bahamas uh, and they played better uh, in the uh, secret scrimmage, and I was expecting a little bit more. And so, you know, that can change in one night. They can come out tomorrow and hit 50% from their threes, and it is a small sample size, and a lot of teams are struggling early in the season. I, I, I get all that. But I just thought this team would, would would play better. Well, maybe the word not better is a little more consistent. Uh, they had really good runs, uh, and then they had a, a, a dry spell in the first half for about eight minutes and a dry spell for about 12 minutes in the second half. And, and I just didn't expect this team to have that uh, kind of uh, performance. And I'm sure they're not happy with it, too. Um, Coach Woodson said the defense was better than the offense, and he knows what he's doing because I agree totally with him. This team is a lot more fun to watch. I think the foundation and the fundamentals of this program are a lot better than where we were last year. I just want to see the performance be a lot better and the expectations that Indiana, a a blue blood team, uh, should have won that game. If they had a bad game, should have won that game 14, 15 points uh, and not have it down to one or two possessions there with three minutes to go. And I, I just believe that's true. I think it was a bad performance offensively. But there's a game tomorrow, and we're talking basketball, and, and, and we live in a great country, and those are things I try to remember regardless. <laughs> All right, and to my right. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Ryan, what's your uh, what's your opening rant for the week? Since you didn't get to uh, to give one on the on the first post game show of the season. Uh, just first of all, thank God we have actual basketball to talk about for the first time in in months. Uh, it's it, it was nice to finally have a game. Uh, you know, watching the game, I several things stood out to me. One is, and we'll talk about it. Uh, coming up, they they got to make shots, and there were a lot of open looks that they missed, and and. The, it, you know, caveat for first game jitters that happens a lot, a lot. You're looking across the country right now. A lot of teams are struggling against lower competition right now. Uh, I think that really you're not going to be able to judge this team fully until we get into big 10 play and, and they get a couple games on their belt and all, and all that stuff. So, uh, but you know, you get a win. It's the first one, get it out of the way and move on to the next one and build on it. Uh, they're going to be able to watch film on all the things they did wrong and correct them. And that's a positive. Uh, you know, I think that if you lose that game, you really, you know, it's it's a huge blow to the ego and, and you're really back to the drawing board. Whereas this, OK, we want it. Let's let's build on what we did well, as opposed to just having to throw everything out and start over. So I realize it's one game. 
But if you do lose that game to a team that's not supposed to be good at all, it could have been a disaster and set them back five games. So this, get through it. Everybody else is struggling. Like most other teams are struggling. Just get through it, build on it, start to make some shots, start to ease your way into it. Because there's certainly enough talent on this team. And you, you saw it in the first half of that game that there's enough talent on this team to be pretty darn good. And they just weren't showing it in the second half. I think there were a lot of just mental lapses and things like that. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But I think the big takeaway is they got to make shots and and we'll see if it for a lot of them was just first game jitters and finally getting to play somebody else uh, that caused that. Oh, and also and also Andy's Veterans Day thing was great. One more thing to mention, you know, happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. Uh, but specifically my dad, who spent 24 years as a surgeon in the Navy and, uh, you know, that's uh, I had to I had to single him out for that. I I almost did, but I figured you would do that as well. So so Chuck, this one's for you. All right. So uh, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, uh, we got in our first segment we're going to talk who's your headlines, which is uh, largely going to be uh, digging a little bit more into the uh, the Eastern Michigan game, giving a little bit of time to to look at it and think back about it, reflect a little bit. Segment two will be our Ja'Kai Newton scouting report from Ryan. So we've got some uh, questions lined up for him to, to walk through uh, the, uh, the the scouting report on Ja'Kai, who I, I know we've been uh, talking about doing this for a couple of weeks, so looking forward to that. And then in segment three, as always, we got a ton of questions from you. I uh, tried to pull the ones up about the Eastern Michigan game so to kind of help guide our conversation on that, but then we've got some others just looking forward to uh, the game on Friday against Northern Illinois and just some general personnel questions. So lots of good ones there. We'll try to get to those, uh, as many of those as we can. Uh, but with that, uh, this edition of Assembly Call Radio is brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel. And in case you missed it, they just did a brand refresh for Indiana that includes three fantastic new designs. A shirt commemorating Key Smart shots to win the 1987 championship, a new bison design from 1965, and an alternate version of the oval sandwiched between the words never and daunted. Uh, also came out with a new IU sticker this week as, uh, as basketball uh, tipped off. So each new design mentioned above deserves your attention and your dollars. And first-time customers can get 15% off with our promo code HOME. Yes, it's a different promo code now. It's HOME, H-O-M-E. We'll get you 15% off at checkout on Homefield Apparel on your first order. Wear one for the team. All right, guys. So wanted to talk a little bit more uh, about the Eastern Michigan game. I, I guess I'll kind of uh, kind of start with my general thoughts, and then, you know, Ryan, feel free to, if you've got anything you didn't uh, really touch on earlier. I think defensively felt good about a lot of things. You could tell that that had been a focus uh, the, the level of switching and general communication was, was pretty good. As you could see, uh, I know, uh, coach Adranya did that in his uh, film room. He had a couple segments just talking about, uh, the switching and some of those kinds of things. So I thought overall played well on that end of the floor, even when Eastern Michigan got back in it, um, uh, Farrakhan was hitting some really tough shots, uh, as he got rolling. And then, you know, once he saw a couple go through the net after missing, I think the first 13, Things kind of got away from him a little bit, but even even then, a lot of the shots that he, they made during that run were were not necessarily quality shots. I wouldn't say, but IU did relax a, a bit on that end. I felt like when they got up, yeah, you know, I think the bigger issue and question mark is on the on the offensive end. I think the shooting percentage numbers are are one thing, and and we'll you know we can touch on that a little bit. It looked to me like a team that was struggling a little bit to figure out what the right balance is between this newfound freedom they have to 
you know, take threes and play fast uh, versus the methodical pound the ball inside every time, run clock and whatever else. And I thought they just didn't strike a very good balance in that regard. So I think they took some quick shots in situations where you probably could have, uh, you know, worked the ball around a little bit, maybe got a better shot. I thought there were other times they ran offense and got wide open shots that they just missed. Now that probably is as concerning as anything, but again, I, to me that goes back to the, the sample size piece. So I, I, you know, I think it's certainly easy for anybody to point out that that's where the concerns lie. I struggle a little bit to figure out what the, you know, if there's a fix for that, or if that's just a, over the course of time, they figure out how to balance that out. Um, but I think that was the biggest takeaway for me was it, it, it looked like a team in transition of playing styles and struggling to really figure out what that is. I know um, we texted about this a little bit, and Coach, you, you had a comment on you know some of the, the freedom and giving guys confidence to shoot and, and trying to strike the right balance between where to stop, where to try to rein that in. So you know, how do you approach that from a coaching standpoint for some of the guys who you might say took maybe too many liberties with the new uh, free-flowing offense and – um, and, and there were times when things really got away from him. Those were the situations where they, they got away from trace for too many possessions in a row. Yeah. It's the hardest thing in basketball, uh, or one of the hardest things in basketball is to teach shot selection. I think it's vital because good shots lead to good results and it also prevents breakouts, but also it can be over, uh, overanalyzed by players. And then they start thinking. And, and we saw a lot of that last year where the emphasis was get the ball to Trace Jackson Davis and, and players who want to do well by the coach, listen to the coach, and then they they don't have that freedom to, to take shots. So a lot of times uh, what you do is you give them freedom first and you try to rein them in. I think that's the easiest way, and that's what I think Coach Woodson is going to do is he really harped on that freedom to shoot, freedom to shoot. Now it, it's in – uh, on game film, and now he can go back and teach. But you're always a little concerned that it goes too much back the other way too, just because people want to are trying to be coached, and, and so shot selection is just really difficult um, a concept in, in in many ways. But the the quick shots, I, I think, were an issue, and then that stretch of uh, what was it, 12 minutes from 1421 to 247, there were 21 possessions. And Trace Jackson Davis only had three outcomes. One was a free throw, one was a miss two, and one was a two. Uh, and it went from a 20-point lead down to a two-point game in that stretch. Uh, that's something that the guys got to figure out, and they will. Uh, you know, it's a long season. That sample size stuff is probably one of the better points that was thrown my way. Um, but shot selection is very, very, very difficult. I just think it's better to, to start this way. But, boy, if, if you miss shots and take bad shots, you can lose games that you shouldn't. Um, and so that might just be something we have to go through as a program in, until we get mature enough, under, basketball mature enough, to understand how this team's got to work. Ryan, just yeah, as you, I, as you I, look back, I mean, ahead. any thoughts on that or other you know general takeaways for you before we hit some of the, the listener questions about the uh, team? <sighs> sure. And, and look, uh, that – if if this team shoots thirty percent from three in that game, it looks completely different. You know what I mean? And 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 they shot sixteen point seven percent. And and so and by the way, twelve of twenty from the free throw line. They got to be better there, and they have been better in in scrimmages and in the Bahamas. They were better. Trace Jackson Davis went three of seven. He's got to be better. Uh, but again, first game, it's you know a lot of adrenaline. Guys not 
focus, maybe overshooting a little bit. Maybe, you know, your jump is a little higher. And so that, that, that takes something off the arc of your shot. Um, I, I will say, I think the most positive thing that we saw, I mean, Trace Jackson Davis, obviously phenomenal game, but the most positive thing we saw was race Thompson dominated that game in 24 minutes and in only 24 minutes, you know, and, and he had such a meaningful impact on that game in every aspect, whether it was running the floor, diving on the floor, you know, defensively grabbing rebounds, outlets, throwing alley-oops, whatever it was, uh, you know, posting up down low, getting a feed from, from TJD. He only scored five points and had an enormous impact on the game. I, I said earlier in the offseason, I kind of felt like he might be a Draymond Green type for this team that does all the dirty work and and, and, and sets the tone, but maybe doesn't put up the numbers that you would expect from a star. I really feel like that was a game like that for him, where he's not the superstar, but he's the guy who sets the tone for everybody and you know is always there on defense, is always getting a rebound, is always running the floor and doing things and putting pressure on the opponent. So that stood out. You guys know I've loved race for a long time, but but that was really it felt like okay, now he's really taking this responsibility to do this every game. The other thing is, I mean, you look at look at the numbers, the raw numbers. Miller Cop, 0 of 3 from 3. Ray Thompson, 0 of 4. Those guys need to shoot. I mean, they need to be able to make those shots. And, and so you don't want to say, well, you went 0 for 4 or 0 for 3, so you got to cut back on your shot. No, they need to keep shooting because they need to start hitting those. Uh, and so that, that's what I took away from is not that they need to shoot fewer threes. It's that they need to make more somehow <laughs> and figure that out. But Geronimo, 0 of 2, we've seen him make those shots, you know, in, in preseason and in the scrimmages, in the scrimmage and all of that. Tamar Bates, 0 of 2, we know he can hit a 3. You know, so I just, I do think Rob Fantasy, 1 of 5. We've seen him go on streaks where he hits a bunch of threes. So I do think there was some of that first game adrenaline jitters. The one thing that was surprising to me when I looked at this game afterwards was they only won by six against an opponent they were far better than. They only turned the ball over eight times. So it was really a case of just not making shots. That That's all it was. And that's something that has to develop. And, and look, Mike Woodson and his staff have made that a priority, have made shooting a priority. Unlike the previous staff, it feels like they have made shooting a priority. And so I have confidence that that'll get fixed, but it needs to get fixed. I mean, so that was my big, those, those are my big takeaways. All right. So question from Phil that I thought was a, a good one. So he said, obviously we have some kinks to work out based on the second half of the game on Tuesday. What are the top three positive takeaways that you have from Tuesday night's game? Coach, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, I think I, I kind of answered some of that in the community too. Uh, I really liked our defense. Our defense won won the game. And in fact, if our offense was just a little bit better, this game is 20, 25 points based on our defense. Uh, that's despite the young man getting really hot. So uh, I liked what I saw uh, on defense, the, the hustle. Um, the other thing I answered was, Trace Jackson Davis is just incredible. Uh, he went to his right. He hit a jump shot. You could tell he really worked on his game. I think that's a positive because people are going to have to stop him. Uh, and then that's going to keep opening up shots that we need to hit, but it's going to make things easier uh, down, down the road. I think that's positive. And, 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 and Ryan talked about race. What, what a just an enjoyable game to watch uh, of, of his performance. And I really like Coach Woodson. Uh, in the second half, I said this after the game, 
he knew that shots were uh, getting a little loose and getting a little crazy, and he went to a couple sets, um, uh, a high-low game with a double post uh, to emphasize getting the ball inside, and then he ran some flex, which is, you know, you get an open three off of a sit-down on, on the down screen, and your big can down screen and, and post. And so uh, that was impressive. Uh, I think his adjustments on the fly in the second half, he analyzed what was needed, and and tried to do it and again games happen where you where, where you don't shoot so uh you know it, it just was a bad shooting night uh overall or it was it would have been a lot lot different the scoring droughts worry me a little bit but there there were some positives there but indiana being what we want it to be can't beat eastern michigan by six that just can't yeah. be acceptable um glad we did it but it just can't be acceptable as i said as i said earlier i think you really can't tell with a college basketball team what you've got until maybe the first week of January. I mean, you know, there are teams that go out and win the Maui Invitational and stink all year, you know, or win, you know, play great early in the season and just fall apart or terrible, put it together and figure it out and readjust and wind up going to the final four. I mean, you look at the, what was it? 20, the, the last big 10 championship Indiana team was awful and they got blown out at Duke and and then wound up, you know, winning the Big Ten championship. So I think that you really have to wait and see for what you've got. And these next few months are really just getting ready for the season. I mean, it's it's a regular season, but you're getting ready for what's going to be the push. I mean, nobody goes undefeated in college basketball anymore. There's a reason because it's a long season and you've got to figure things out and, and put things together. Yeah, I think for me, uh, you know, you guys have mentioned a lot of these, so I, I probably won't give three. Uh, the turnover one I thought was – I guess I will give three. Uh, I, you know, the defense that Coach mentioned, uh, I thought they did a lot of good things there. It's still a couple communication things as they're switching and um, doing some, you know, switching basically one through four. But it was a few times communication, um, you know, they, they lost guys. But generally speaking, they were in the right spots, had good help. Uh, were active, forced a lot of turnovers. I think that was uh, a, a definitive improvement and took good care of the basketball, as Ryan mentioned. I mean, eight turnovers in a game that had, I think, mid-70s possession-wise based on the way that I, I charted it. That's pretty good. Uh, you're going to feel good about that. And, um, you know, I, th- I think I think the offense showed some good things in terms of being able to get what felt like quality shots. So this is... I don't know, maybe somewhat of a, a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but you know, I thought they got good shots when they 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 ran some of the sets, and, and again, I thought Tony did a good job breaking some of that down in his film room where they were able to get shots. They just have to make some of these shots. Um, there's definitely shot selection challenges, but I thought what they ran gave opportunities for it. It's just a matter again of trying to figure out what that balance is. The other other thing that I was going to mention that totally escaped me as I was getting ready to start there was they did execute fairly well down the stretch. Um, they had a real lull where they struggled to score, struggled to get the ball inside. I think that coincides with around the, the spot that coach was mentioning where it ran those couple plays, got it into TJD. He was able to make a nice wraparound pass to race for a basket. Uh, I think made another pass to race where he got fouled. Uh, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, they scored on, you know, they, they went one or two from the line, maybe a few too many times, but you know, seven or eight possessions. I felt like down the stretch when they really needed a basket, they were able to get one and execute well enough to get one. The problem was they, you know, let Eastern Michigan get a little, uh, get a little hot in, in stretches there and just, you know, felt like they could kind of turn on what they wanted to do offensively, uh, late. But I did think the late game execution was, was good when they needed to keep scoring, 
uh, until Farrakhan cooled off a little bit. I thought they did a reasonably good job of that for a team that has struggled to hold on to a lot of these leads and has struggled to execute down the stretch and at other times. So I don't yeah, have it in front of me when I charted the possession, so I apologize for that. But I think it was and, they scored on a lot in a row down the stretch when they needed to. And what that tells me, Andy, is that when they're focused – it's fine, and that they probably got a big lead and just lost a little bit of focus, which just is immaturity. I mean, and and that happens, but and we've seen it happen to other teams or whatever, and and you know, it's not a good thing. But if they learn the lesson there that you're up twenty, you can't just like let off the gas uh, and, and just cruise cruise to a win. Um, then then they'll learn that lesson. Especially, you know, here's the thing. If you have a robust second unit with veterans on it, I think that's fine. But you've got guys all in a new system. Everybody's a freshman in the system. So it's hard to just, you know, take your starters out and let the let the guys go into cruise control on the second unit there because they're new in this too. So if you've got veteran depth, I think you can relax a little bit maybe. But clearly they, they weren't in a position to do that uh, only up 20. So... I, I look, I think I think they got a lead and felt good about themselves and just kind of chilled. And Eastern Michigan did not quit the game and started making a lot of shots. And that's what changed the game. All right, Ryan. So I'm going to combine these other couple questions because I think they're they're related. So so the first question is, do you think the fan base overreacted to Tuesday's game? And yes. the other is, as you get. Yeah, that's a, maybe is too easy one. Uh, the other one is from Steven. It says, as you get distance from the game and maybe even rewatched it, what? what has changed from the observations that you may have had in the moment, which I think speaks to the potential overreaction where everybody has that freak out moment when the game's getting away from them a little bit and, and maybe stepping back, see something that you yeah. can see in the moment. Well, for me, the offense was better than I thought it was even during the lulls. I think they were just shooting too quickly and, and not working it around and getting a better shot, but it wasn't the offense's fault. I think the players were just pulling the trigger kind of quickly. Again, you get, you get up 20, you get a little, you get a little shot happy. You, you're looking to make a big play as opposed to making the solid smart pay, play, making the extra pass, getting the ball inside. You know, you're just looking to, you know, find something and do something spectacular. But uh, I would say that was my biggest reaction. I think the offense was actually better on rewatch than it was watching it when I watched the first time. Um, and of course, the the fan base overreacted to to the, to the game. And it's what Indiana fans do. We re, we overreact to good stuff and bad stuff. Uh, I remember last year when when Indiana went in and beat Iowa on the road. Everyone's like, "We're turning this season around." And it's like, no, Iowa just really didn't play well in this one. Um, but I, I so I think that that yes, yeah, certainly there was overreaction. Like I said, it, it, guys, they're probably going to lose games early in the season as again, new coaching staff, a lot of new players all trying to figure out how to play together in this system. It's going to be up and down early on. The key is to build to January 1st and be able to have a team that can, that can compete in the big 10. So if losses help them learn those things, that'll happen. You know, that that's not a bad thing. If you can learn from, from those defeats and move forward and figure out what works and what doesn't. But yeah, I mean, I would not, overreact to anything until we're in big Ten play and, and not, not make any definitive statements about the team or the program or the coaching or anything until we're at the start of 2022. Coach, what about you? 
Yeah, the, the overreaction is to say that this is going to be this season's already over with and all that kind of stuff that I saw in some places. Maybe I even overreacted. I still think it was a bad basketball game. Uh, if if Indiana is Indiana, you don't win by six, and, and my expectations are high, and uh, I don't apologize uh, for that. Uh, I thought there was a lot of dribbling, a lot of standing. The cuts weren't as sharp. Um, you know, from what I had seen and heard from the summer, the three exhibitions, they they were a lot better offensively. So that was disappointing. I don't think that's an overreaction. You want Indiana to play well every game, and we should want Indiana to play well every game. They didn't play well in 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 my view. What what changed a little bit was it is a hundred percent shot selection and making shots. You know that that's just that's what maybe changed for me. And going back and looking at the stats. The, the two droughts up 10 nothing and then uh, you lose a, a segment of play in the first half I think by eight um, you got to 12 10 or you lost it 10 to two and then the th- in the second half you lost three segments to Eastern Michigan five three and seven and, and got outscored 27 to 12. that's not good basketball um, and, and that's just honest it doesn't mean I don't like coach Woods and I think we're doing great I think he's doing a great thing I think this group has some ability to go so overreacting to think that this tells the story down the road but I, I don't think I overreacted in saying you know it, it wasn't the outcome that I expected and it you know if you, we only win by four or five on Friday um, that that's not good despite them beating uh, Washington you uh, you got to set your expectations. You got to play for perfection. You got to coach for perfection, knowing that you're not going to, knowing that the early season is a difficult time. And then you learn and you, you keep, uh, keep moving, moving forward. Coach, I, th- I feel like you felt like that question was directed only at you when. You know, oh, I got a lot, man, man. but you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the dumbest time. guy in the gym. I've been the dumbest guy in the gym for years. That's what they call the coach. <laughs> the coach is the dumbest guy. Just go and listen to any crowd. Sit this guy. Look, this coach, guy. I wasn't going to say it. Okay. I wasn't going to say it. I, I, I just want you to know that that was not what I was. Oh, I've been say. called a lot worse and, and suggested to do things with my offense that are inhumane, uh, out loud, you know. <laughs> And I keep telling Mrs. Tonsoni that's not nice to yell at her husband. Um, so she's no, just into it. It's all she's just good. passionate. What are you yeah. going to do? She just yeah, she's just passionate about the boys. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So well, we'll try to we'll try to hit good. these we'll try to hit these next couple quickly as we uh, we get close to the longest first segment ever. Um, so Jalen Hutchifino, Caleb Banks, CJ Gunn all signed their national letters of intent. Uh, the 2022 class is currently third in the Big Ten and 16th overall, according to uh, 24/7. And uh, and then IU Northern Illinois is on Friday at seven. That is a BTN Plus game. Uh, I think it was Valerie who uh, made sure wanted to make sure that we reminded everybody of that. So if you need to get your monthly subscription to uh, watch that game, uh, I also believe that I heard today they're going to sync Don Fisher uh, and Eric Sur's audio with the uh, the broadcast on BTN Plus. I believe I saw that somewhere today, which. Uh, hopefully I'm somebody in the chat. I'm sure we'll point out if that is inaccurate. So, uh, no promises there. Uh, Northern Illinois picked to finish toward the bottom of the Mac with Eastern Michigan. As I think we talked about in the off season, they did upset Washington in their first game, 71 to 64. They made 12 of 23 from three point range. Uh, I do not know a great deal about, uh, Northern Illinois. What I will say is this, uh, Washington has, uh, I forget the guy's name, but the uh, former assistant at Syracuse for a long time, so they do play a lot of zone. Hopkins. 
Hopkins, thank you, who is uh, firmly yeah. on the hot seat even before losing this game. Uh, you know, they play a lot of zone. You got a first year coach for Northern Illinois. So I, I struggle to really know whether the, the 23 threes are a function of the way that they want to play offense or of what the defense uh, gave them. But they took 25 two-point shots and 23 three-point shots. Uh, but I suppose when you make 12 of the, of the 23, you're in pretty good shape because they did not make a very high percentage from two-point range. Uh, best player, at least in that game, was Trendon Hankerson. He was 6 of 11 from three, had 28 points. He's a senior. Uh, looking back at his stats from a shooting perspective, shot it really well, almost 45% from three. As a sophomore, regressed to about 37%, which uh, most IU fans would probably kill for, even though I just called that regression uh, as a junior, and uh, and obviously shot it really well the other night. So I think that's going to be a key assignment, whether that's Finnessy getting it uh, at some point when he's in the game. I would imagine that to be the case. Uh, that That's kind of the guy that IU is going to want to and need to uh, – to slow down a bit. Uh, again, I, I don't know what to read into that. Washington did get to the free throw line 36 times, so they got fouled a ton. They shot a poor percentage from the line. They made just 21 of those 36, so that doesn't help. They shot 3 of 18 from 3. Uh, again, without watching the game, hard to attribute that to defense or just generally poor shooting, although uh, one guy went 9 of 22 on twos, I believe, for Washington, who, uh, who's who been at, a, I think Washington might be his third school at this point. Uh, but Washington did have 27 offensive rebounds. IU didn't have a lot. We actually have a question later about IU's philosophy on offensive rebounding. So, again, going back to the sample size thing, I don't know that we take that to mean uh, Northern Illinois is anything special. Uh, but at the very least, it probably helps Coach Woodson get the attention of the, uh, of the team. Um, I think there was a question from Kathy. I'll just kind of throw this in here now. Coach, I'll throw this one to you first. Uh, if there's one thing that you want to see – improve in the game tomorrow night what is it uh something i call one more passing um you know hit hit the open guy uh and, and you know we talk a lot about in, in some coaches circles you need to hit singles and doubles you don't have to hit home runs and, and part of the the problem maybe on the first night was everyone wants indiana to do well they came here they transferred here they want to play for coach woodson and, and that might have led, led to some problems but for me it's one more uh you know drive in Look for the kick. If someone closes out, throw that next one uh, and, and find the open three-point shooter, regardless who it is, and then keep shooting. Uh, you, uh, Ryan said it. You got to shoot in order to make them, in order to stretch the floor. But uh, the passing, to me, uh, is a way to make that maybe a little bit better. Ryan, what about you? What's the one thing you're looking for tomorrow? Hit some shots, please. Uh, yeah, it's the shooting. I mean, it's been the shooting for – what five years, you know, like it, it, let's, let's, let's hit some shots. Let's step into some open looks and knock them down, hit them like you hit them in practice. That's, I mean, I'm looking for guys to calm down a little too. I think that that first game adrenaline jitters is that's going to be out of the way. I think it'll be a more level headed game uh, and a more focused game. And, and again, typical first game of the season is always a crapshoot. You know, and and you're seeing it. Ranked teams are losing to mid majors all across the country. It's it's happening, and you're seeing power five teams lose to mid majors all across the country. So, I mean, Virginia lost to Navy. Yeah, you know? it's no I mean, coincidence it's, that Jared's not on after that Virginia performance. Yeah, I mean, he couldn't show his face. Um, so yeah, I again, I I do expect a better performance, uh, and that's why the first performance. You know, I know coaches it, it really thinks it was bad basketball. It was bad basketball. It was a bad basketball game, but I, I do think that. There is something to that opening game, opening night, first time in front of the big crowd, adrenaline, you know, 
whatever. Uh, so I, I'll, we'll see what happens what happens tomorrow. But I, I do think that that you'll see a better basketball game, and I think you see some guys hit some shots too. Yeah, I think the shooting to me is the obvious one. The, the other thing I'll throw out just to, to go with something different is a little bit more of that killer instinct, whatever you want to say. If they're able to get a lead, do they take a breath and relax a little bit, or do they you know, keep the pedal down uh, as they go? So uh, that's that's really what I'm looking for. Do they learn those lessons and uh, and, and come with more consistent effort? effort? So, uh, all right. Well, with that, we will uh, finally – Take a break here after uh, after segment one, and when we come back, we're gonna get into uh, Ryan's long-awaited scouting report on IU's latest commitment, Jakai Newton. People are definitely excited about his potential, so stick with us here next to find out why. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right. Welcome, everybody. Just a shade over a half hour in the first segment, but, you know, it's like a bonus postgame show when Ryan can be on. But all four of us will be on uh, tomorrow night on Coach's birthday, no less, to, to hopefully celebrate an IU victory. Quad box tomorrow night. Quad box. <laughs> I, I watch too much NFL Red Zone. Yeah, it's, you, uh, you might, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, it'll be fun. All four of us, finally. First foursome of the year. <clears throat> All right. Um, no birthday plans, huh, Coach? No, nah, I'd rather spend it with you. I'm sending Amy to the school play. <laughs> uh, what's what's the play this year? Um, Diary of a Wallflower. Oh, okay. Have you heard about that? I don't. It was. I think it was a movie. That I, okay. I mean, I mean, it might might be a play first. I don't know, but I think it yeah. was a movie. Um, so she asked, I said, listen, I'm gonna watch a game seven to nine regardless. And then I'm on the show till 1030. So dinner and cake before the game. And, you know, when you're married 29 years, this is probably a good solution on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one second. We'll be right back when we can start right, the next second. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> you know, early on, you get all kinds of nice stuff and go out to dinner and get dressed up. Now when you're old, happy birthday, old man, I'm going to the play. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> How's your coaching going, man? You're getting right into uh, uh, yeah, we the got, heat of the action here with basketball. Like a, yeah, we got like a preseason. I don't know. They're kind of like running clock games, but it's just, I mean, glorified scrimmages, but the, the league mm-hmm. always does it to get started. So we'll we'll see how it goes. We got I got the same eight that I had last year, although one of them's got a broken wrist at the moment. So we're a little we're a little light in the backcourt, but 
but we'll see how it goes. They're good, good kids. So looking forward to watching them get to play a little bit and you know be out there instead of practicing and us giving them a hard time. Here's a great story about busting Joel because whenever I can bust Joel, I want to bust Joel. Joel wanted my parking passes, uh, and he decided to do that on Monday or Tuesday night, and there wasn't enough time to get him in the mail or whatever, so he decides to drive up. He does all that driving stuff anyway for his clients. He drives up to our school. So first of all, I had to tell the secretary, hey, this big dude with long hair uh, is coming in to get parking passes. Don't call the police, you know, because it's a threat. <laughs> it's a threat, threat at the school. So Joel walks in. And we, I bring him to my classroom, introduce him to my seventh period class. He has a good conversation, show him how we do bracketology, all the signs and stuff. And then um, I kick him out because I got to finish up class. And he goes down to the library and he and uh, he cooks with Amy during tailgates. And all of a sudden, the intercom comes on. Whoever is driving a white, you know, vehicle, blah 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 blah. You're parked in the bus lane, and I just busted out laughing. So Joel <laughs> you knew makes exactly one. Who it was? I knew exactly who it was. It was Joel. One time he visits uh, Delphi High School, he comes in and he has to be uh, kicked out of the school via the intercom for parking illegally in front of the bus lane. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Perfect. Perfect. It's perfect. Couldn't draw it up any better. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. That and the other thing, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, community, join the community. If you're not part of the community, you're here on, on podcast or whatever, join the community. Um Glenn from the community spent 30 minutes on me. I'm trying to hardwire this computer when I host so my uh, we don't have that issue of the sound. And, and he worked through some things, helped me order and find some things that I need to order. Uh, and it's just Hoosiers helping Hoosiers, uh, regardless of wins and losses. So, Glenn, if you're listening, thank you. I know I, I, I tried to thank you in the community. But, man, what, what a, a, a neat thing that we have going on there. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. Lots of good, uh, lots of good basketball content as well. I know Jared posted something on uh, using the shot quality uh, site, which actually th- felt fairly favorable about the, the you know the shots that IU was able to get. Obviously, we have discussed how we felt about the uh, the actual results of of said shots, but <laughs> it was uh, it was you know some good good analysis, different ways to look at things, and uh, a lot of good conversation. So good shots, uh, just gotta make them. Certainly you appreciate know. that. All right, you fellas ready? Ryan, you you ready? Let's do it. Ja'Kai Newton. All right. Here we go. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. And welcome back to the Assembly Call. So how do you keep up with the fire hose of information that comes out almost every day about IU basketball? It's crazy during the offseason and even crazier now that the season has started. Well, we've got your back. We send out a free weekly email newsletter on Sunday mornings. It rounds up the most important and interesting IU basketball stories from the previous week to keep you up to date on your Hoosiers. Over 9,000 of your fellow IU fans are on the list already, and we want you to be on there as well. So go to join.assemblycall.com to subscribe for free now. Again, that's join.assemblycall.com. So uh, I put shooters in the intros tonight, just hoping that osmosis will, uh, will sink in. And it will help the performance tomorrow night. So we'll see. So we got holes. We got holes with that one. Uh, another uh, another good shooter coming up for the next one. So hopefully that'll uh, that'll rub off a little bit. So all right. Well, we wanted to uh, been wanting to do this for a couple of weeks, but ended up having uh, you know wanted to do the, the some of the over unders and, uh, and and talk with Scott and Galen last week. So 
we we'll get Ryan's scouting report on Jakai Newton now, kind of an in between game uh, look ahead to uh, to to Newton. So, uh, Ryan, just as we get started, um, the easiest thing to do is probably start with you know some strengths and weaknesses. So, what as you have uh, evaluated him, what really stands out as you know two three things that he really does well. Uh, and, and maybe a thing or two that are opportunities for him as he moves through his high school season, you know, in the AAU season heading into uh, his time at IU. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Ja'Kai Newton uh, listed as a combo guard, probably more of a shooting guard, and and given his size and length, he's six foot three, six four, with a wingspan that is about six ten, six eleven. So he could probably play one through three, quite frankly, and and is probably a, a guy given his ball handling, which is a strength and, and it's, it's weird. He's a hyper athletic, crazy athletic guy. Uh, you know, his, his vertical is 40 plus, uh, plus that length. And, and so what I would say about him, that the first strength is just his raw talent and, and physical ability is the first strength. The second strength is usually with guys who are that athletic, the basketball stuff lags behind because they can get away with making mistakes from a basketball sense because of their athleticism. You know, they don't have to have great technique going to the hoop. They can just jump over everybody. Uh, He's so quick that he doesn't need to have great ball handling skills because he's by somebody. He won't need to worry about a steal, especially when you're playing in Covington, Georgia, instead of playing in Indianapolis. Um, Not that that's a bad area for basketball, but, you know, the competition isn't what it is in in some other areas. Uh, What I would say about his ball handling is I was – pleasantly surprised he goes right and left the same he actually loves to he's right-handed he loves to drive with his left and and finish on that side of the floor which and and can finish with both hands so really impressed with that uh was not expecting to be impressed with that because typically super athletic guys again the basketball stuff lags behind not with him um and and i think another strength from his is he's a he's a committed defender uh, he really wants to engage defensively. And and again, another surprise. Athletic guys, a lot of times, they're looking for a block, looking for a steal, looking to you know make the flashy play. He actually wants to prevent guys from driving and moves really well laterally. And that was another uh, a, a huge strength of his. Lateral quickness defensively is a huge strength. As far as weaknesses go, uh, there's one glaring one, and it's that it's his shot. And here's the thing, though. I think it's getting better. The other day we saw some some footage from from a high school game from his and it looks much better. It is much cleaner. It is, you know, he's following through more. Uh you, you look at the tape from maybe over the summer and he's certainly got an ability to develop a jump shot. It, it's a smooth motion. He finishes well, but his feet are not angled at the basket. And that is again a small change you can make and all of a sudden he's hitting shots. So the actual mechanism of his shot is fine. And it's a good finish, a good high finish. It, it's it's smooth. It's one motion as opposed to you know catch and jerk and then shoot or or something like that. No, he's he's got a very smooth jumper. It's just a matter of getting those feet aligned, getting it consistently, getting it up there. Uh, and, and I don't think it's a huge hurdle to to climb for him. I would say he also sometimes needs to be aware, uh, maybe be a better passer. Uh, right now, he he sort of is a he's a a guy who. Watch. I watched a couple full games, and when he doesn't have an opportunity to drive, that's what he wants to do. He wants to get the ball, and he wants to go to the hoop. And when he doesn't have that opportunity, he just kind of moves the ball along. He doesn't create for anybody else. If you're a guard on a wing, you got to be able to maybe drive in and look for somebody else instead of always be forcing it yourself. But again, you're the best player on your high school team. You're the best player on your AAU team. You're going to be attacking the rim 
and, and looking to score because that burdens on you. He's got to learn to play within a team concept a little bit there. Uh, but again, not something that's a big red flag for a, a high schooler. This kid's not even going to be on campus till 2023. So he's got time to develop. I, I think that, you know, it'll be, a, uh, it'll be, it'll seem really quick until he's here, but he's got a long length of time to develop. He's got a whole other AAU season ahead of him. He's got a whole or two whole high school seasons ahead of him. So there will be development there. There's a lot to like here and a very, very high ceiling given his athleticism and given, you know, the basketball sense he already has. Where, where do you see his progression as far as freshman year, sophomore year? Uh, how does that play out according to what you, you see uh, from him already? I could see him being uh, maybe a, 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 a sixth man as a freshman. Again, coach, we got, as I said, we got a lot of development left. So this is just where I'm projecting now. I could see him being a sixth, seventh man as a freshman and then starting as a sophomore if he continues on this development trajectory. He, the reason why I see sixth and seventh man as a freshman is because you can't keep somebody that athletic who can defend off the court, you know, because sometimes you just got to let guys go wild on offense. And, and, He's just a guy who, uh, you know, they'll be throwing alley. They'll be throwing a lot of backdoor alley oops to him, things like that. And he could probably do that as a freshman. Um, he can probably have some straight line drives uh, as a freshman to the basket, get to the hoop, maybe get fouled. Uh, again, those percentages from three and from the free throw line need to tick up, uh, but it, it, to be a dangerous driver, because as you know. If you can't shoot threes, they'll just hang off of you, and like because they know how. I mean, they get the scouting reports too. They know how athletic you are. They're not going to just give you driving lanes. So, um, yeah, I think that's it, it, come in, be an athletic presence, attack the rim, play some defense. You know, he, this guy he can grab rebounds too. That with that length, if he's a, he'd be a great guard rebounder too. So. I think I see that, and then maybe if he continues to progress as a sophomore, he's starting uh, and being able to provide that athleticism in the, um, you know, in, in on the wing as a freshman. Or does he have clo- does he have closer material? Uh, that's one of the the concerns coming out of game one. Uh, I think Tamar definitely does when he gets yes, going here in the second half. You know, we want Rob and we want X to be that for us this year. We we hope that they develop into that. You know, when 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 things aren't there, go go make a tough shot, go make a bad shot, go make a shot in the lane. Um, I, does he have that kind of capability at some point early I, in his I think the fact that he's been the lead guy on his teams will help that, uh, will will lend to that. And um, But it, it, as I said, you've got to be able to consistently hit that shot to be that guy, I think. Because, again, if all you're doing is driving and pulling up or driving and getting into the lane and and trying to finish – and you're not able to knock down that 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 long distance jumper. It's going to be really hard to be a closer because you got to you saw the, the ultimate closer in college basketball last year was Io. I would assume, and the reason why is because he could hit a shot from anywhere, and that that's what makes him the most dangerous play. It made him the most dangerous player late in the game. So Newton's got to be able to prove that he can hit that shot. Now, I, as I've said, I think he can develop that. I, I I really do. the The motion is not bad. the The question is just the footwork and being able to, you know get his get his balance right get all of that stuff right which again very fixable very fixable if you have the right people teaching you and so yeah i think that he could develop into that i, I you know there's a, there's a there's an oladipo like i mean i'm not comparing to victor oladipo so stop that i know you're thinking it stop that but there's an oladipo like quality to him in that he's coming out of high school and that he's very athletic plays is willing to play defense has some length you know, all of that stuff. 
it's a matter of how hard you work and how you develop. And, and Oladipo went from being just an athletic guy to being a star. And, and so a lot of this is going to be on Newton and, and, and working hard. Now, this is a kid with a, a 3.5 GPA who volunteers for local, you know, charities, who is, you know, seems to be a great kid. And, and so those kids, it's, it's a lot easier to motivate those kids to work really hard if they're already working hard, you know, in, in other aspects and not just relying on their athleticism. So I think he's a guy who's really worth watching over the next year, who's your fans, you know, Tune in, see how he's doing in high school basketball. Next summer, find all the AAU clips you can find and watch that progression. Compare them to where he's at this year and, and watch that progression because I think he is definitely a candidate to jump up big time with his uh, just his uh, overall talent and, and ability. So as we think role, um, I know you mentioned the you know he's, he's labeled more as a combo guard. Uh, based on your description, sounds like that leans a lot more to the two than the one. Um, how, how do you think that fits in with the other guys that IU has now has coming in next year? Uh, and then kind of thinking another year ahead to when, when he's here, like, do you, how much do you think that dictates what, what role he ends up playing for IU? Or is that really a skill set thing that determines that ultimately? It'll probably be a skill set thing. I, I, you know, and here's the thing: is that in it's a very guard centric game now, so you could have three point guards or three guys who can handle the ball on the floor at the same time. And and you know, the world's changing that way. I could definitely see Jalen Hood, Shafino, Tamar Bates, and Jakai Newton on the floor at the same time, and probably slide uh, Newton over to the three, maybe because he can defend a three given his length. Um, you know, sort of like that, and do a three guard attack if if everybody if all three of those guys are still here at that point. Uh, I also could see him being <clears throat> sort of a second unit ball handler, bringing the ball up. He has enough ball handling ability. Now, I don't want him creating for people, but I think that he could, in a pinch, be the guy who brings the ball up the floor and and not give you a heart attack. Uh, I think he's he's a very skilled uh, dribbler, and it's impressive. Um, but you know, a guy like. Hood Shafino and he would play very well off of each other uh, because of the the differences in athleticism, the differences in length and the differences in their overall ability. <clears throat> I think they could really pair well. Tamar Bates is still around. Another guy pairs very well with those two. So looking ahead, yes, I think that, that he really works with what they're bringing in. Athletic, uh, can score, plays defense, has some length. You can tell the guys that 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 Mike Woodson really likes. He wants athletic guys with length, NBA style guys who can play some defense and can attack on the offensive end. And you gotta you gotta develop those guys into shooters too. And and you know obviously if you're looking at some of the other targets they're targeting, they're trying to get shooters as well. So you know like a Gabe Cups or guys like that, they're really trying to to balance this these pickups up with some shooting and some you know solid stuff, some solid uh, all around players. But Ja'Kai Newton's just a very high-ceiling guy, just an incredibly high-ceiling to what he can become. Does he reach it? That's on him. But but he, it certainly exists. And you look at this guy and you watch his film, just jumps off the page how athletic he is and and how he loves to attack. One of the things that that's interesting about him is when he jumps uh, to, to finish, he jumps off two feet almost every time. Now, that can get awkward in the lane if you're trying to finish with a layup, but it's also a much more explosive way to jump when you are trying to throw down dunks. And he throws down some monster, monster dunks and, and is, is a guy who wants to finish emphatically. And you kind of need guys with that mindset on your team. You really do. And, and Indiana hasn't had that for a while other than Trace Jackson Davis. 
And, and do you, would you agree with this, Ryan, too? Everyone who commits to a school really wants to go to that school. But I feel Newton really likes IU. I think yeah. his family really likes IU, which means there's going to be a lot of effort to get better and do what needs to be done. Uh, there, there's no, you know, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by what you've heard from his family and that. And I know that's not a basketball skill necessarily, but uh, it is a skill if you're, if you're really bought in. Uh, and, and I think that the name on the front of the Jersey, uh, is, is going to be just as important to him as anything on, on the back that you get that feel. Um, is, is that a true reading or, or am I just kind of hopeful? Absolutely. It's a true reading. And, and, you know, look, he committed to Indiana it before his junior season of basketball even started, you know, he didn't go through the entire process. He went to Indiana, visited it, had a long-time relationship with um, Roseman and with Yashir Roseman and just decided that's where he wants to go. And and you know what? Guys who are bought in like that, they get what's coming and they, they understand it and they want to be a part of it. And so very encouraging for Indiana that this kid jumped on this. And like you said, you know, he's a four-star, 67th-ranked player in the country with a lot of helium and could jump up even higher. And he's saying, that's where I'm going. And so also funny quirk about Chikai Newton goes to Newton high school. They named the place after him, you know, it's, it's, uh, but you know, it's so yeah, encourage it. Very encouraging that he wanted to, to go there early and, you know, commit early and, and be locked in and guys who do that, you know, sometimes they change their mind, but I don't get that feeling here. I think he's locked in and that's what he wants to do. So we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with this. Well, I, I guess I'll combine a couple of questions. One from from the great Bob Thompson, uh, who uh, who does the music for the show. He he wants a player comp, as everyone always does with these, because we know how much you love them. But while you're thinking about that, you can answer the other question that I had, which was, you know, what 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 skill or couple skills really translate the most to to an impact that he can make in his freshman year understanding that could change over the remainder of his high school career but you know what are one or two things he does now that you think translate right away well i think the just the athleticism is going to translate immediately he'll be one of the more athletically gifted players in the big 10 when he steps on the floor i mean being having a 611 wingspan being six three six four and being able to jump out of the gym all of that will will translate immediately and and um so that's the first thing but i, I think as as far as skills go i think just quickness off the bounce uh he's very very quick and doesn't hesitate when he sees a lane to drive and, and i think the defensive you know the, his ability to move laterally and play defense will translate and it is something he'll carry to if he doesn't develop any better at all those things that he has right now play in college basketball. The fact that he moves laterally, cuts guys off, you know, wants to be all over them defensively, not let them shoot, you know, getting his getting using that length to prevent guys from shooting or getting layups. I I think all of that translates immediately. The the other stuff, the basketball skill stuff, the shooting, the you know, his ball handling is great, but of course it could get better. Um, all of that can continue to develop and get better. But right now, that athleticism, I mean, he's a guy who could just run the baseline. He could throw out alley-oops to all, all day. Cut back door, whatever, get him the ball. He's going to dunk. Get him out on the break, throw him, a, throw him a pass from half court, let him run, dunk. That stuff translates now. The, the question is just how does he develop those basketball skills? How much work does he put into straightening out that jumper? And, and somebody asked in the chat, you know, how off are his feet? And they are they're they're shifted away. I mean, you know, his one foot's behind his left foot's behind his right foot, and he's his body is shifted a little bit. 
Now, there are guys who can have that kind of positioning and make shots. They're rarer, and it's also harder to, it's easier to, you know, it, it, what I'm saying is, I'm trying to think out how to word this, but it, it, when, when, the, when the mechanics are off, uh, it's harder to fix the shot. And it's harder to work through problems. And when you go into a slump, it's harder to fix that. So that's why you want guys to have the perfect mechanics. Not everyone's going to have perfect mechanics. A perfect example of a guy who did not have good mechanics and was an amazing shooter, Jordan Hulls. It, whatever he did worked for his body and worked for him. Uh, somebody mentioned Steph Curry. His feet aren't square. He's Steph Curry. Like there's a, He's on another level. Uh, but the, you know when you're only hitting 20% of your three-point shots, and your mechanics are off, there's an easy fix there, and that's to fix the mechanics. And that typically leads to success. So that's what he has to work on. And, and you know, if he starts making threes with those mechanics, fine, leave him alone. You know, it, like, it, but if you want an easy fix, it's, it's to square your body, square your shoulders, and face the basket. All right. Well, that'll do it for our uh, Ja'Kai Newton roundup. Thank you, Ryan, as always. Uh, when we come back, we're going to answer your questions, as we always do in our third segment. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's on a pretty steep trajectory already just in terms of how much he's risen so far. So if he can oh my gosh, keep that up, I mean, over the... And you- you couple, understand why more he seasons, watched yeah. like I watched Yeah, I watched his high school highlights from last year and he's an explosive athlete. Explosive guy, had some ball handling. You watch him in AAU this summer, he's much smoother and much better and you understand why he jumped up. So, um yeah, and for people there are people in the in the chat talking about, you know, shots and and some guys shots are flat, but they went in whatever. There are guys who could shoot it, you know, however they want and make it and, and they're, they're anomalies in general, they're anomalies, but you know, when you're not a pure shooter and can't make it all the time, that's when you go back to the mechanical fixes. And if, and, and, and I think he's, he hit, you know, something like 70% of his free throws last year or on the circuit this summer, I guess it was this summer and hit about 20% from three uh, shooting it a lot. That means, okay, something's off here. Let's 
let's try and adjust something. I remember my uh, between my junior and senior year, I would when I would shoot, I would I'm right handed, so I would twist. It was like I was I was pushing more from my right side, and I would twist as I shot. And I had a a basketball coach, a personal basketball coach, and he was just like, "You'll shoot twenty percent better if you just." jump the same with both feet instead of jumping more with your right foot than your left foot. You jump with both feet, you keep your squ- shoulders square to the basket, you keep your body square to the basket, and you it, it's much easier. And by the way, it feels when you, when you have your whole body moving towards the hoop instead of twisting like that, the ball feels a lot lighter when you shoot it because your whole body is behind the shot. And so little changes like that can change you as a shooter. I, he was right. My shooting percentage went up by 20 points. Like it, it was, you know... It's a you very, probably kept the ball more straight. Yes. It, you had a tendency twisted. to go left or right yep. based on uh, your turn. I'm a big keep the ball straight guy. Yep. No, you're you absolutely know? right, especially especially from places like the top of the key, yep. you know, where being straight very much matters. You're on the baseline. You can twist it a little bit from the side. You can twist it a little bit and still make it. From the top of the key, you got to be straight on to make that shot. You're not going to get much help from the rim. And, and so he was absolutely right that I was drifting my body to the side and that when you release it, unless you release it absolutely at the perfect millisecond, right? it will twist and it will spin yeah. as you go and you shoot a thousand shots. How many are going to be a 100% perfect? There'll be a percentage, but it's not going to be all of them. And if you're square, there's a higher chance that you're going to release perfect shots every time. So again, some guys are super athletic and can do, you know, are just special. And no matter what they do, their shot's going to go in. Steph Curry is one of those guys. He takes some shots that are ugly as sin, but they go in because he's Steph Curry. But if you notice, a perfect example is a guy like Kobe Bryant. When he would he would shoot a fadeaway, like a, a back to the basket, turn around, you know, 180 and shoot it. He, he and, and he looked at the mechanics of that. You'd be like, well, that's a bad shot. But in the air, if you paused it at the moment he released the ball, his shoulders were square to the basket. He would hold the ball until he was square and then release it. His whole body would be facing it. And then as he released it, his body would twist afterwards, you know, because he'd be flipping around. But he would always get his shoulders and his arms square to the basket, release the ball. And, and there's a reason why a guy who practiced as maniacally as Kobe did knew to do that, because if he did it any other way, the chances he missed that shot would be much higher. And so when you go back and you watch, just type in on YouTube, like, you know, Kobe Bryant fadeaways every time that he makes one purely. I mean, you know, there are ones where he's a little bit off and it'll rattle the rim. But when you see swishes, every time you can slow that video down. And when he releases it, his shoulders and body are square. Despite moving through the air or shifting, you stop it at the moment of the release. He is square to the basket. That's what you need to do as a shooter. You need to get yourself in the best position to shoot. And, and so when guys have bad mechanics, they're not putting themselves in the most advantageous position. Again, Jordan Hulls, his shot was weird. It was down by his shoulder. It was whatever. He had probably practiced that so much that he figured out a way to make it perfect and make it so it worked for him. He, had, you know, that's a kid who grew up with a basketball in his crib, probably, and so he figured out a way to make that work for him. And other guys do that too. But then, you know, if, if they become pure shooters from from a young age, if you're not that, again rely on the mechanics. The mechanics will not fail you if you do them right. So that's why we always harp on mechanical stuff. That's why we always harp on footwork and, and all those things. And, and it, it leads to success. It it will lead to success if you do it mechanically correct. Now, again, not everybody needs to do that, but with guys who are struggling, boom, mechanically rely on those mechanics and that's how you will be successful. 
There we go. That's just our, a doctorate in shot This concludes our go. TED right Talk. There. You should just on isolate the, that, post yes. it somewhere. This concludes our TED Talk on uh, there you go. On shooting. <laughs> As if we needed more, like, uh, chewing just, up more time in just this in show. Case. Just in <laughs> no. case. All right. Let's let's get let's get into the questions. I tried to group them a little bit, so we'll we'll do as many as we can. But I, we, I'll probably try to wrap up by ten thirty at the latest, just so we're not going forever. So we'll be back at it again tomorrow night. So, um, all right, here we go. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. And welcome back. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And uh, as we always do in our third segment, it's time for our mailbag. All questions, as usual, submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, our mediocre question this week uh from Jay is are any other IU fans planning to be at the carrier dome at the end of the month? Uh, he and uh, his wife just booked their flights. He was texting us about this today, then proceeded to tell us what his track record was at attending road IU games. So um, definitely sounds like we need some of you with some uh, positive vibes and, and hopefully positive history uh, of traveling with the team to uh, accompany them there to offset uh, what appears to be uh, the curse of Jay in in this scenario. So, uh, should be a good uh, should be a good game for sure. Uh, it did lead us to get a few good uh, Jim Beheim uh, gifts in our in our uh, text chain. So that was that was useful. But uh, if anybody's out there, I'm sure Jay will be uh, will be looking to uh, to meet up and uh, and certainly anybody who lives out that way that would be good as well. Uh, I would like IU to win because I have neighbors who are huge. Uh, Syracuse fans and uh, so at least at least some bragging rights a, a little bit here if possible but uh, alright we'll get into our other questions uh, a couple personnel related ones I kind of grouped these together uh, I believe this one was from Coach Marlowe who brought it up on the post game show do you think we'll see more of Trey Galloway as a more of a point forward uh, Coach I'll let you take this one first yeah yeah I do and I, I know that uh, he, he's not the most visually pleasing guy to watch with his shot and the way he drives and jumps and passes. But I think the coaches, you've had a couple coaches now that have played him significant minutes. He is not afraid to get out and run and transition. I love his first Which couple this, steps. this coaching group loves. Yeah. And uh, he gets out and goes. And, and when, when, when our transition game gets up to speed, you're going to see a lot of pitch aheads for him on the wing to go in and either, you know, dump it off for a big trailing or go in and, and lay it in. And I also think they like him um, driving the basketball. I, I thought, uh, you know, I thought our point guards were very hesitant in turning the corner on, on ball screens. And they, again, hopefully that's just part of getting things going this season. But I think they like the fact that he can get downhill. The game of basketball is guard-oriented and downhill. So I think Galloway's minutes are going to be 14 to 18 uh, minutes because of the fact that he can he can create for others. Um, he had a couple sloppy turnovers. But I, I like Trey. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a, he's a non-stat kind of guy, um, yeah. that it, it creates stuff for, for the offense that don't show up in stats or that a lot of us don't, don't really see sometimes. And, and a lot of teams have those guys. Yeah. I would just say about him, um, if he could shoot threes consistently, he'd be starting. 
I think, because of what he can do for this team. And and that's, you know, an issue. And and he needs to be able to knock down shots from the outside because what happened last year when he would come in when he couldn't shoot? Teams would just back really far off him and essentially dare him to shoot the ball. And he did a couple times, and we would all scream about it. But, you know, that's something that needs to develop for him. And it's a common theme with some of the guys in this program is you got to hit shots. You got, you got to be a balanced player. You cannot be an unbalanced player and be successful in college basketball. So for for Trey, that's the next evolution of his game. But when he's in there, he's great in the open court. He's great in transition. And and when he's got a driving lane, he's excellent at doing that and and delivering a pass or, or finishing at the rim. He's a good finisher, too. So he's got elements of his game that could really help this team, but he's got to be a more well-rounded player. And and that goes for you know a lot of other guys as well. They have to be a threat from the outside to balance out what you do well and to be able to get to what you do well. Yeah, I think uh, for a, a team that clearly looks comfortable having different guys bring the ball up the floor, you know, getting a rebound and going, I think we saw Race do that a little bit. Parker Stewart brought it up a time or two. I, I don't think necessarily the you know labeling him as a point forward is even necessary because i think when opportunities exist they they, it seems to be preached to just go um i think what he at this point until he can consistently knock those shots down is focused on doing what he does well which is being able to attack closeouts and create things for others not necessarily doing that to to score and uh and being a guy so if they're able to you know make that next pass as coach talked about earlier swing the ball around that opens up driving lanes for somebody like him who uh while he goes in the air maybe a little bit too much to pass for my liking uh is a guy who's been able to find people and um and maybe can set up other guys who are are more adept at shooting than he is at this point in his career he's got that wrong foot game you know you like to drive in go up that that wrong foot old man game you know that's just so (laughs) weird to look at with with you know regular college basketball uh, all right, next question. Uh, I'll kind of lump these together. Uh, Jeffrey asked, why didn't Logan play, given the fact that Durr was unavailable? And Sarah asked, do you know anything about Christian Lander's status? Any thoughts about his role on the team? So I kind of lumped these together because they're more uh, role-based. Ryan, I'll throw those to you uh, first. Well, I think with uh, Trish Jackson Davis played 37 minutes. That's why you didn't see Logan dunk him. And, and I guarantee you the coaching staff That's not staff what you want, but that's, what, yeah, that's the, what was needed. The coaching but. staff did not want to play Trace Jackson Davis more than 30 minutes in that game. That was probably the seal, the absolute ceiling. And maybe if it was going great, play him 25. But I think you would have seen Logan dunk him uh, if the game stayed at 20 points. But it got close, so Trace had to play most of the second half. And I think in the first half, he played a lot because they were establishing themselves and getting a lead. And you want to keep working that until you don't need it anymore. And so I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, but I think we'll see Logan in some of these earlier earlier games with Michael Durr out, and we probably should – we'll have to just because he's extra fouls. Um, but I think Logan's – you know, I think it's worth noting, and I think Logan's a bit of a project, and he's going to be worked on. I think he'll be playing next year a lot, but he's got to develop. He's got to be a little stouter. He's got to be a little bigger and stronger, uh, not uh, – unusual for a freshman big man to need to bulk up a little bit. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with where he's at. I think he's at exactly where we expected him to be at, but that's probably why you didn't see him is because the game got close and you needed your star player to step up. And of course he did late. So that's why uh, as far as Christian Lander, I think again, it's, it's a similar, similar answer. Is it the way the flow of the game was, there just wasn't a spot for him and, and, Mike Woodson played, I believe nine players played and I bet Christian was probably the 10th guy. And 
you know, as these games and what, what Christian Lander has to do. And it's very simple. He's going to get opportunities to play in games that are not particularly close. And he's got to earn it in practice. First of all, you feel like that's, and, and, and everybody within the program is kind of saying the right things that, Hey, he's, he's getting better. He's doing much better. It's just a process. But when he gets on the court during a game, he's just got to show it. He's just got to show it, whether that's setting other people up, whether that's finally hitting some jumpers, whether that's, you know, I don't know, playing defense really well or something. He's got to show it when he gets on the floor and and he hasn't done that yet. And so I, I do think the kid has incredible vision. I think he's an incredible ball handler. But again, as we talked about with Trey Galloway, you've got to balance your game. You've got to have balance to your game. You can't just do one thing well. Uh, a perfect example, a guy like Ray Thompson. He could do multiple things well. That's why you have him on the floor as much as you do. He can rebound, defend. He is a smart passer on offense. He can post up and score inside, whatever. The only thing he's missing right now is a consistent jump shot. But you need those are the guys that are winning players. Those are the guys that win games for you, are the, are the well-rounded guys who can do multiple things. Now, every team, well, except for Indiana right now, but every team has a guy who's just a shooter. Like, maybe play some defense, but he's just a shooter. Those guys help you win games, too. But if you want to play more, you've got to be well-rounded and have different aspects to your game where you can contribute in multiple ways to winning games. And that's just where we're at right now with a few of these guys. They've got to round out their games. I, I thought before I go to the next question for you, Coach, you know, I, I think a little bit with Duncan in particular, Eastern Michigan, not not too big. So you could afford to play a Geronimo at the four, even though he's, he's not as big. I think you could get away with some of those other lineups and um, – so I, I thought that probably contributed to it a little bit as well, but uh, yeah, they don't they don't want to be playing Trace thirty seven minutes a night. That's for sure. Uh, Coach, I'll throw this one to you. This is from Bill. Uh, what was the most common causes for IU to blow big leads last year? And did you feel like you saw the same thing reappear in Tuesday's game versus Eastern Michigan, or was there something else uh, at play that night? How would you step back and assess uh, assess that one uh, with a, a couple that- days to think on it? Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's kind of a difficult uh, question to to answer. Um, confidence is not just shooting the basketball. You, you got to learn how to win, and then you got to believe you're going to win, and then you got to know what to do uh, to win. And, and what happened in my mind last year, if I have to recall it, um, is the teams just when, when things started going bad. They, there was some doubt that crept in. And when you start doubting, you start thinking. When you start thinking, you don't let your athleticism. Uh, there was not a necessarily, um, if you want to call it a killer mentality or, or put the foot on the gas mentality when you had leads. And it just seemed like this, uh, for, for many years, when, uh, when, when things took a turn for the south, everyone kind of, well, you know, took a step back. And, and yeah, I, I, it felt that way. I don't know if it was. It could have just been a kid got hot and – Indiana missed shots, but uh, part of what I think the fan base, including this guy, probably went through is, oh, no, not 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 this stuff again. Um, and so it looked familiar. I don't know if it was, and really Coach Woodson and staff would be the only ones to know the, the kind of the true evaluation of what happened. But um, it sure started to feel like, uh, you know, the Michigan State game up 15 and you lose a key game and, you know, all, all of the things that we've gone over and over again. So um, – the, the hope is that this was just abnormal and first game jitters and things like that. And it was a perfect storm to that. The kid got hot at the time. Indiana did not. And this is not going to happen again uh, too often, but basketball is a game of runs. It just happened to be kind of a, a negative run impact on the Hoosiers in game one. 
you know, it would have been nice to win three or four games and then have that bad performance uh, rather than the bad performance on, on night one. Yeah. Brian, anything, uh, anything you saw with that in terms of, of letting the lead slip? Well, last year towards the end of the year, it just felt like there was a disconnect somewhere. And we later learned that it was, you know, mostly a disconnect between the coaching staff and the players and, and what the coaching staff wanted and what the players were feeling about that. Um, so, yeah, I think that that feeling wasn't there this time. It felt like everybody was bought in. Right. I just think there was a, a, a relaxing, you know, they just they just relaxed. They got up 20. The crowd was going, you know, Miller cop hit that shot at the end of the first half while getting fouled. It was you know, they had some momentum. They, they started the second half well. And then I just think guys relaxed. They forgot that you can't relax in a basketball game. It was the first game of the year. You couldn't, can't relax. And the, the crowd was cheering. They got excited. You know, some more guys come in, start playing, and, and you just lose that killer instinct. And then the killer instinct, you know, sort of came back at the end a little bit. But that's all I think it was. And so I don't think it compared to last year or the last couple of years where they would blow leads at all. With What would happen when they blow leads the last couple of years is – they just didn't know what to do on offense and they didn't have a clear picture of what to do on offense. Now there was some of that yesterday, but I didn't feel like it was because of a disconnect between what, you know, people want, what the coaching staff wanted and what the players were doing. I just felt like it's the first game in a new system. They're maybe feeling their way out. And, and look, as the shot quality numbers showed, they just missed a lot of good shots and they got to make those. I mean, that's not an excuse. They got to make those, but some nights you just miss good shots and hopefully this is not a trend. Hopefully it's just first, as I said, first night jitters, first night adrenaline. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens in game two. I, I uh, don't want to be at the Tonsoni house tomorrow night. If, uh, if things go south, uh, I'll be calm. It's my birthday. Uh, you got to learn how to win, Ryan. You know, I mean, teams got to collectively know each other, know where to go and how to run stuff. Uh, and that's a process as well. And that just can't be flipped on. So, uh, I, I'm hoping that, that that was the cause of, of the second half. Uh, all right. Next one is from Jeff. Uh, with all the spacing that we did on offense, it looks like our offensive rebounding was missing in large portions of the game. When everyone is spaced out of the lane and almost everyone with a green light to chuck up threes whenever they're open, how do you maintain the capability to offensive rebound? So, um, you know, Ryan, is that – how do you view that? I mean, I, what I would say to, to start is to some extent, that's a philosophical thing in terms of the way that you want to run uh, offense and things like that. So you'll have teams, you know, Wisconsin, a lot of years would basically just abandon the offensive glass in order to not get beat back down yeah. the floor defensively. And you can still have an efficient offense while not collecting a ton of offensive rebounds. But I don't know necessarily, again, I, I would say we haven't seen enough of this team and the staff to know whether that's really a a truly conscious choice of something that they don't want to do or or things like that but any any thoughts on the offensive rebounding uh and just kind of the the philosophy around that from your perspective yeah it was non-existent they had five the entire game and and so i don't even i don't know how many second no, chance no shortage of opportunities though given the shooting so at least you yes, know, you're giving and- yourself chances to get them that's for sure I, I tend to think with race john with race uh thompson and, and trace jackson davis they're going to get offensive rebounds. Um, But I don't know if they're making a conscious choice to get back on defense, you know, as their priority and not sending some people to crash the glass. And I I don't know. We haven't seen enough of this team. And and we said in the offseason, we haven't seen this team yet. We don't know what this team's going to be. So it's sort of like, you know, this is game one. Maybe this was just 
guys not getting to the ball fast enough and they'll look at it on film and, you know, make that a point of emphasis. Um, but yeah, it's, it was certainly non-existent and, and that's an, you know, when you've got two good big men like trace and race, do you feel like you should do better than that on the glass? Um, but you know, I, I don't know what the philosophy is with a spread out offense. It is certainly harder, uh, than if you have two, two bigs in the post. Uh, but I will say that spread out teams with, with open, wide open offenses get offensive rebounds. I mean, they find ways they, they send guys to the glass on shots. And, and maybe that's something this, these guys aren't used to doing because they weren't used to shooting a lot of threes. Um, but yes, the guys need to crash the glass. If we're going to get offensive rebounds And there's some teams that, Hey, as soon as the shots up, you're running back on defense, you're not letting transition baskets happen. And, and that can be a philosophy. So I don't know. It's if probably it's something we need to watch tomorrow. That's a good point to try to pick up what the philosophy is too. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, Miller Cop and Parker Stewart are out there to shoot. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they have explosive ups. Uh, and, and sometimes offensive rebound, and it's just go sky and get something. We got two guys who can do it, and now you stretch that four out a little bit. It's a longer run for him to go get it if the ball, you know, is shot on, on a similar side. And, um, you know, you can still rebound without having great jumping ability. Agreed. But it's all about it positioning helps. and desire. Yeah, it's positioning it, it, and desire. It also helps to just be able to say, go get the ball yeah. uh, at the college level, you know. And I think how many rebounds is just someone the ball goes and you out jumps. That's what Geronimo does. Geronimo just goes, gets it. Um, I'm sure he blocks out. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he can get rebounds that a lot of people can't get because he yes. can just go get it. And we don't have a lot of those guys right now. In, in my opinion, no, I, that that could be I'm just trying to reach for some reasons yeah. uh, of why that might have been. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of it to me is a little bit a bet on the shooting, which uh, I'm not sure many people are wanting to, to do that. You know, I looked I was just kind of looking through a little bit on Ken Palm. So like Creighton, as an example, is a team that routinely over the last handful of years has rated pretty low in offensive rebound percentage. The difference is their their offense still ends up being efficient and has been in the top 25 in in efficiency, you know, you know, fairly consistently, but they're also their effective field goal percentage is routinely in the top 20 of the country. So, you know, maybe we'll find out whether that's the philosophy going in and then the shots don't start to fall. Then you got to adjust the philosophy to account for that. We'll kind of yeah. see that that's part of what goes into early season. So I don't know that that's Ooh. something they're willfully abandoning. Um, but yeah. but placing uh, at this point, I think uh, it would be reasonable to, to question anything that places a lot of the eggs in the basket of this team uh, shooting the ball incredibly well based on what we've seen. Uh, we don't want to line up with Justin Smith back in at the three and having three guys who just go get a lot of offensive rebounds, chuck and rebound. I, I don't want that. Yeah, I don't that, want that anymore. Yeah, we could we could do without that. All right, we'll finish up. Last question uh, from IUDSW. Uh, question for Coach. What would you do when an opposing player is simply unstoppable like Farrakhan was on Tuesday night? And I would say that was really late on Tuesday night. Uh, he was uh, imminently stoppable in the beginning of the game when he missed the first 13 shots. Uh, he said, I can remember a bunch of times when this has happened last year. So, uh, Audige with Northwestern, uh, the guy for Wisconsin, the Big Ten tournament many years ago. I believe it was Rob Wilson was that guy's name. Uh, if, if Farrakhan does not suddenly hit everything he throws up, it's likely a comfortable win. And the toxic portion of the fan base does not absolutely lose their minds. So, uh, to get back to the 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 regular question, so you see a guy coach that's starting to heat up on the opposing team. What what do you do to get him out of the rhythm that he has, in in this case, very quickly gained? 
Yeah, you take away his catches. Uh, you, you try to limit his catches. You try to, if he does catch the ball, get him in a spot that he's not comfortable, either further out or or whatever. And then you decide if he's hurting you from three, then you crawl up into him and you force him to become a driver and you just don't let him get his shot gathered. Um, those are several things you, you can do. Uh, you got to be very careful about running guys at people because that creates rotations on the backside. But if it got really bad, uh, you, pros do it sometimes. You see it where, where people will run to and force the ball out of out of someone's hands. Those are the quick things uh, that are, are in-game changes, maybe scouting report um, plans too. But you just got to try to not let them get the ball. Uh, yeah. and, and when he does, then just make him as uncomfortable as possible and, and contest shots and, and hope that uh, he cools off. When I played, my coaches tell me, rough that guy up. Not, yeah. not Don't hurt him. Bump him off yeah. cuts. Make yeah. him move. Make him uncomfortable. Get in his face. Grab his jersey a little bit when he's running. You know, like, you know, grab his shorts as he's running. You know, like. Get him frustrated. Exactly. And make it so, you know, little stuff that maybe the officials don't see, but, you know, if they were looking right at you, they might call a foul. But, you know, he comes off a cut. Bump him a little, you know, make him catch the ball. As you said, if he's going to catch it, make him catch it three steps further out than he wants to. Um, yeah, that's that's what you do. You make a guy who's comfortable, uncomfortable. That's the way you do it. Maybe you foul him. Maybe if I mean, maybe you do foul him. Uh, you, you don't want to send him to the free throw line. If he's in the free, if they're in the bonus, you don't want to send him to the free throw line because he can keep hot. But, you know, bump him a little, make him off his game. Do any anybody who's hot, just change what they're doing. Try and change what they're doing and make them a go. It's like when a pitcher's in an, uh, has a no hitter. Batters step out of the batter's box a lot more often. You know, they they try and make him change his rhythm. Try and make him, you know, if a guy gets on base, he tries to st- steal a base. You know, whatever you can do to knock that guy off his rhythm. It's the same in basketball. A guy gets hot, make him do whatever else, you know, whatever he's not doing. Make him work for it much harder than he's working for it. I mean, given some of Coach's comments about uh, about Fallon the other night and his, uh, you know, his – his uh, playing style in that regard i'm sure he's right on board with uh right on board with what you said so all right well that is gonna do it for us tonight on the assembly call uh if you want to see us do the show live join us at assemblycall.com on thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording thanks to bob thompson for producing our music and thanks to john ringer of rigs design rigs design.com for designing our logos and thank you for listening We will talk to you actually tomorrow night on Friday after the IU Northern Illinois game. So until then, take it from me, Freddie Max Wayne Jr. Keep your elbows in, your eyes on the rim, and man, pull up and dump the ball. Go Hoosers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. I like everything about that. All right. That will do it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us. I think we hit most we'll be of back the, at it in most of the questions. Yeah. Yeah. 22 hours. Probably be wrapping the post-game show right about the same time tomorrow. Game's at 7 Eastern, right? I feel like I should know that. Yep. I believe it's 7 yes. Eastern. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, fellas, given that we got night, the uh, back-to-backs, I'll, uh, we'll shut things down and <laughs> we'll be uh, be back at it tomorrow. So, Thanks, everybody. Uh, Have a good Friday. We'll see you guys. And we will uh, talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. Later, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? 
Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.